Welcome to the True Works Podcast, the podcast that equips you to understand how the gospel can transform your life and your work. I'm your host, Joshua Smith, and with me is my co-host, Doug Meikle. Doug, thanks for joining me today. Nice to be here, Joshua. Yes. Today we're going to look at interpretation or interpreting the scriptures. Now, this may seem a bit esoteric. It can get quite academic, the pieces that we provide to our faith work intensive that we're trying to motivate to read the piece. Uh, It gets pretty technical, but I think we can have a way into this topic that really uh, just gives you a general overview and whets your appetite so that you can go into the more technical aspects of it. Yeah, so the example that we give to help people get an introduction to this subject is uh, something that probably you guys are mostly familiar with, and that is um, the various debates at the Supreme Court. Um, So when the Supreme Court meets and it uh, takes a case and it looks at that case, the evidence, the legal arguments, etc., and then eventually comes down with a decision, there's oftentimes, well, there's sometimes a 9 to 0 or 7 to 2 or, you know, that those decisions do get made. But then there's often things that are a bit tighter than that. And and why do these decisions uh, come uh, that way? Why do, why do they come that way? Well, partly it's because that there are judges uh, on the Supreme Court that view how they interpret the Constitution differently. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's yeah. a group that uh, whatever you want to call them that look at the uh, the original text of the Constitution, and their view is that uh, one should take a look at that text, and the only thing that matters is what did the writer of that Constitution mean when he wrote it. That's the originalist position, if you like. And then there's another group of jurists on the uh, Supreme Court that would say, sure, that's important, but that places the the document, the Constitution, in uh, a history. And that history is also important, as is our current moment. We need to interpret that the constitutional document within the realities of our current moment. So in that sense, the Constitution is a living document that pl- is placed in history at some time in the past, but lives on through time, and that we need to interpret it the way that, uh, that we see fit today. Now, those are obviously two very different ways of seeing the same document, um, both of which are uh, kind of coherent, both of which are uh, have got their supporters and their detractors, but it leads to very different conclusions about the nature of that document. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the analogy we think we want to share with you today. There are ways of looking at the Bible that will lead to very different conclusions. Mm -hmm. So how we look at the Bible and how we interpret it is actually pretty important. Yeah, and with going along with the Constitution interpreting it, of course, what the Constitution means and how we interpret it are not just, uh, is not just an academic exercise, but it changes the way uh, that we interpret the laws that rule the land and laws that are either uh, proposed or uh, taken away. And the import of the scriptures is even more important than the laws of the United States. Uh, so this is not just some uh, you know, abstract only for uh, Hebrew, Greek, and uh, Arabic scholars, but this will change our very view of God, ourselves, 
what the world is like, how we relate to it, since the scriptures talk about those things. Yeah. And, you know, to emphasize there, this stuff actually is pretty important because oftentimes, as you mentioned there, the frame with which you bring to your reading of the Bible, um, within that frame, if you like, are kind of baked in some of the conclusions that you will come to. So I think this whole business of how do I interpret the Bible or how do I even read it mm-hmm. is actually pretty important to Christians. And um, and that's why we do this right at the start of our faith work intensive, because one of the things that, one of the key resources we have, of course, is the Bible. What is it teaching us and what is it telling us? Well, to answer that question properly, we really need to think carefully about how do we approach the Bible? What do we what do we think it is, and how does it speak to us? Are mm-hmm. pretty important things, and there's a few you know, there's a few kind of ways we can illustrate this about how people. Uh, approach the Bible, and things. these are things that are perspectives that you would have in pretty common use and that you no doubt have heard. So, for example, um, is it really a devotional book that I can randomly open up the story of the Bible? Yes, God, and I can tell take- me what you want me to know. Okay, slay your enemies with the, okay, maybe, God, I'm not into slaying today, maybe something else. And jump off a cliff. No, I, I don't know if those are in the But it sounds like that's your method there, Joshua. You're obviously yeah. quite familiar with that. Which kind of explains a lot of the sporadicness of my life. Yes. 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 Chaos. Okay, often. so we can probably help you in the course of these next can few you minutes. Really? I really hope so. I yeah. hope someone can. I hope someone can too. But then there's other methods, right? I'm just going to start at the beginning, and I'm going to read it straight through. And 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 yes, there is something good about that. Yeah, that you get uh-huh. a sense of the whole arc of right. the Bible. What's everything that's in there, and that's that's kind of important. Or allegorical. Are there hidden meanings in there? You know, is it just basically like Dan Brown and what was that book? I can't uh, remember what that book the was. The Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code. Yeah. yeah, and there's like all these hidden meanings. Or what was that thing with Nick Cage and the uh, the movie? Oh, uh, yes, the um, where it was all about. Some national uh, hidden national treasure, treasure? something national treasure. treasure. No, yes. it's national treasure. Yeah. So there's some kind of hidden code in there that you figure it out, and once you figure that out, everything becomes Bible clear. numbers, prophecy, yes, all art, that thing, that I thing that's on the. Uh, why is that I thing on the on the dock? Because on we're the money. always being watched by them. Well, okay. All right, moving swiftly on. Right, see, and then there's a moral manual. Like we, what we go to the Bible for is that it's just a series of uh, moral commands. Now, this is pretty common. Yeah. That this kind of view of that this is kind of the Bible is a rule book for life, that it's a moral manual. So how is that going to affect the way that you read it? You're always looking for what does God want me to do? Well, what if the Bible is not – obviously, no one is – we here at this table are not – uh, disputing that God has expectations, moral expectations, and that he's given a law. But is that the sum total, the primary uh, means of, or primary reason that God wrote the scriptures? No, it's not. Well, I think when you put all these things together, it's not like we've never heard of these before, right? We've we've seen all of these or heard all of these 
methods, if that's the right word being used, how do we approach and read the Bible? And all of them have some merit because ultimately, uh, if you have your quiet time in the morning, that's a devotional read. Um, if you read it through to try and get a hold of the, the narrative arc, there's, there's lots of good things about that. There are parts of the Bible that are allegory. There is myth in there. There's all sorts of different types of writings in the Bible. So that's something that you need to think about. And then, of course, there are certainly some moral commands in there. I mean, the Ten Commandments are a real thing. So all of those ways of reading the Bible are appropriate in their context, let's say. But do the what's the central kind of methodology that we have to follow? And maybe here is a good time to introduce you know, this kind of complicated word that, uh, that you're, the, you're the scholar amongst us, so you'll be mm. able to explain this to us, I guess, this word <laughs> called hermeneutics that you're going to see uh, in the readings this week in the Faith Work Intensive. So it's about the science of hermeneutics, the science of um, how does one interpret the text that you're reading. Yeah, so I think uh, hermeneutics, it originated as... Uh, the West is trying to understand the scriptures that God has get, given, so it originated trying to understand biblical. Uh, the biblical text comes from, I think, the Greek god Hermes, which was the god of speech or interpretation. All of that's not nearly as— And you as, do know your Greek gods. That's one impressive thing about you. Uh, some of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you have a name like Hermes, how can you resist? Exactly. I, there's Zeus too, I think. Yes. Uh, maybe, but the the idea of that there, we don't show up to the scriptures, the Bible, or really any document Anything. Anything. without an implicit, a presupposed hermeneutic. We read the newspaper differently than we l- read love letters differently than we read historic documents, differently than we read inspired texts like the Bible. Uh, And these are going to shift and determine how we, uh, the conclusions that we draw about ourselves in the world around us and God's plan for the world. Yeah. So it's a bit of a short reading this week. It's article length, this thing by Donald Bloch that Mm -hmm. we're going to ask you to read. Um, And in it, he talks about several approaches to how we read the Bible and then offers up one as an alternative. So, first of all, there's a few different ways that he talks about reading the Bible. I think one is kind of existentialist. What do I think about the Bible or what does it tell me about me, right? What's think- it tell me about me? Somehow this is the the kind of act and process of reading the Bible, of getting into that kind of mode doesn't tell me anything about the world out there, but actually tells me about my truest self or yeah. things that I don't like about myself or something, something along about those that. Lines. Yeah. And then there's sort of a, a way of approaching the Bible that's a bit like the originalists of the uh, kind of Supreme Court jurisprudence that uh, all I need to know is the facts and historical context of the original writer, mm-hmm. and, I've know, and I know everything about it. I know everything about the text at that point. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember what he calls that. I, try, I think he historical? calls it like, like the historicist or yeah, something historical like that. or historicist or but something the, like the that. The point being that, listen, we're, we're going to treat this like we do any other ancient document. Uh, there, are the, there are going to be conflicts that show up. St. Paul might uh, disagree with St. James. That doesn't matter because all we're really interested in, what did you mean? 
having any type of overall unity or communicating to us in the 21st century, maybe they have nothing to say to us. It doesn't matter because the point, what did they say then? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he doesn't speak about this in particular, but it, maybe in our current moment, you would see that there there are folks who would approach the Bible essentially as what's the best word for it? Kind of a liberationist view that the Scripture primarily tells us a struggle for justice, you know, a struggle for the right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think there are several people in the modern world who would kind of say that's the primary primary way that I'm going to interpret these scriptures. That's mm-hmm. what the story is really all about, and therefore, when I read that story, I'm going to extract those liberationist views from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and like you said, that each of these have merit. Yeah. But what we're on the hunt for is what is the principle or the essential or the central. I've already said central, central twice, so you know it's important. The fundamental uh, lens through which we read uh, and interpret and understand the scriptures. And Bloch's proposal is what he calls, kind of confusingly, I guess, because it's some big word, so I struggle with it, Christological hermeneutic, Christological hermeneutic. Yeah, and I think in essence what that means is is that Jesus Christ, his coming, his life, death, resurrection, assumption, is the critical lens through which we need to examine the whole arc of the Bible. And you would think that might be sort of obvious, uh, but might be. Mm-hmm. you would think that might be sort of obvious if you're a Christian, you go to church, etc. but there are, uh, there are some... Uh, what's the best word for it? I mean, we, we when you compare it to that historical analysis of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be even Christians that would say, hey, Jesus doesn't show up till the New Testament, so and what, why should he be relevant to how we try to interpret the story of, say, David and Goliath? Right, right. What, is, what does that tell us? It can't tell us anything about Jesus because it happened before he arrived, and therefore it can't have anything to say about something that happens temporarily later. And our task as reading on this view, our task is just simply understanding how David would have understood it. Yeah. There's nothing more There's there. There's nothing more there, right? Yeah. There's nothing more than reading that story as it was written at the time. It can't speak into the future because that's not how things work. Kind of takes a lot of the wind out of our sails of diving as Christians, as New Testament Christians, of diving into the Old Testament text. Because some, I mean, what, what are you supposed to do with Leviticus? I mean, hello, uh, you're not supposed to eat rabbits? I mean, like, how is that? Okay, I know today I wasn't planning on ordering rabbit, but now I know See, for sure that I'm not to supposed rabbit. to. Yeah. yeah, well, it's back to possum for you then. <laughs> right, it always seems to end up there. Yeah, it does. Let's give them an illustration. We've been talking a little bit in the abstract of interpretation. Let's give them a little bit of a sense of what this Christological, applying this Christological hermeneutic to a particular story in the scriptures. There's several that we could look at, but I thought we could talk about uh, uh, the fall in Genesis 3. Okay, let's do it. Okay. So we have there, you're you're familiar with the story where uh, Adam and Eve, they have fallen, they've disobeyed, and now God is giving the curses. And he starts with giving the curses uh, to actually the serpent. Now we could, one way of reading this is like, okay, this is kind of strange. There's a talking snake. Snake seems like a bad dude. 
uh, he kind of tempted Adam and Eve, and now they all get a slap on the hand, a big slap on the hand. They get booted out of the garden. What's Christological about that? Like, that's Genesis chapter 3. We have 77% of the Bible to get through before we ever hear about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And what Blow shows us is that, well, actually, even in chapter 3, if we read it through the lens as everything in the Scriptures should be understood through Jesus Christ, we actually have the first hint, and it's just a hint, of the coming serpent crusher, we could call. Because in the curse, God says, the, you, the seed of your offspring, uh, they will uh, crush your head, serpent. The seed of Eve's offspring will crush your head, serpent, but you will bruise his heel. Now, that's cryptic. There's, there's not a lot there, but what we come to understand as we go through the story of the Old Testament and we get to the New Testament, that the serpent is embodying this satanic devilish figure, Satan, and that Jesus is going to triumph over him, but also this satanic figure is going to harm this, uh, this redeemer of sorts. And so right there, this, this kind of first moment of the telling of the gospel, if we read it Christologically, we see it pointing to the coming of Jesus and the defeat of our enemy, sin. Yeah, I think there's another um, – oh, there's an interesting point in that story that I think sometimes that's worth, worth us thinking about. Because if, you get, if we wind back a little bit and we talk about the Supreme Court, um, okay. I was trying not to mention – but uh, I guess we should at some point that these perspectives of how one reads the Constitution, like everything else in our time, kind of divide also along political lines, mm-hmm. which uh, which is a sorry state of affairs, but that's the state of affairs that we live in. But it's interesting when you look at Bloch's way of interpreting the Bible is that it's not historical this purely historical, okay. yeah? Mm-hmm. It's definitely not that because there has to be some sense that this Bible is a living document. Otherwise, the whole kind of Christological perspective wouldn't work. What do you mean? Well, we can only, re- by the very fact that we can read back into that text, that here right at the start, God is framing the role of Jesus. It seems to me that that historical writer, it's pretty hard for him to do that, yeah? So there's Mm. a sense in which there's a living element of that document. It's not purely just what did that individual know as he was writing it, and probably, of course, for that kind of document, it was spoken many times before it was ever written down, Mm -hmm. yeah? Mm -hmm. So I think it's... I don't know. I just think that's kind of an interesting perspective that mm-hmm. that don't think of this as these kind of and and this is Bloch's point is that it's not this kind of black and white thing between you either choose this or choose that. There's something that transcends all of these ways of reading and interpreting that we have as a church. We're given uh, we're given Christ as the kind of lens through which to read, but we're also given the Spirit which is animating us while we read. It's a I don't know. It's a completely different perspective than the ones that we see kind of laid out typically in front of us. Mm -hmm. That there's this dynamism, there's this dynamic relationship because 
Loesch also in, emphasizes that in order to understand the scriptures correctly, you have to approach it with faith, that without faith, that is this relationship with the spirit, we can't properly see those Christological aspects. They are hidden from us uh, yeah. in, in the same way that the other truths of the gospel uh, before we have faith are hidden from us. Yeah. yeah. So I think we're we're kind of stepping into something this week in our in our kind of in our journey through the faith work intensive that is a bit more technical. Yes. But we really want to encourage folks to take time to listen to this. Um, because first of all, these debates are all around us all the time. How do we interpret these uh, old documents that can that uh, shape and form and control our lives? That's an everyday occurrence in North America. Um, but also for the church, this is a kind of profoundly important thing. Mm -hmm. You know, when you kind of set off on trying to interpret the Bible, how do I do that and do it well? So I, yeah. So I want to say, I'm going to say something here. I'm going to tell you what annoys me most about how people interpret the Bible. Okay. You want to hear that? I, let me think. Yes. Well, I'm glad you got there. Yeah. It's definitely in the script here, so I'm sure, Yeah. I'm glad you said yes to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, anyway, here's the like thing. Yeah. Here's the thing I hate, and every Christian has 100% heard this, is that every time we go to small group or something, one of these things that Christians go to, uh, you know, some guy opens up his Bible or her Bible, and they say, I want to tell you what this passage means to me. And every time I have to bite my tongue because I want to say, I don't really care what it means to you. I want to care what I care what it means. And that just annoys me. It annoys me that people are like just, well, frankly, dumb like that. So can I press on you a bit? Don't touch me. I'm not going to touch you. Okay, good. Um, unless you provoke me. All right. But I want to think about, so the, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, about what this passage means to me, and it's this very individual thing. How do we make sense of that? with the dynamism and the dynamic relationship that the Bible is a living document, those seem a bit, seems like you could go, oh, the Bible is a living document. So yeah, I'm in touch with the spirit. This is what it means to me. You said I had the spirit, so this is what it means. Yeah. And how does that seem to you? Doesn't that seem that it would be a bit chaotic? It would be chaotic. So there has to be something that grounds, mm. something that foundational, and I think the so I think two answers to that question, because okay. here's, let's give their, the historicists a bit of a pat on the back, because what the thing meant in its context, uh -huh. I think is important, right? Yeah. So ultimately that had some kind of controlling influence on right. what the Bible means today. Um, so that's one thing. Yeah. I think the second thing, and this is important for us, is that there is no concept in, in, our, entire, in our entire Bible of us reading the Bible on our own, and that uh, being authoritative. We always read the Bible in a community of people and a community of believers. Mm, mm. So when you have some kind of harebrained idea, as you always do, That's then me. there are there are kind of folks like, there are old normies like me around who are able to say, Joshua, no, let's not do that. Mm. Uh, 
that, when it's done well, is the community speaking. It's, yeah, it's trying yeah. to bring us back to, okay, what's the Bible really teaching us here? We don't get to interpret that on our own. We get to interpret that in a community of people we live in today, but also importantly, a community of people that arcs over time. There are 2,000 years of history yeah, yeah. of people who have been reading this book as well. So I think that's what, uh, you know, when, we, when you guys get to read Donald uh, Bloch, I think is how you uh, pronounce his name mm-hmm. from, where's he from? He goes. He taught at Dubuque, Iowa, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Dubuque, he? Iowa. The, yeah. the I think he's passed away now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Taught there in the sixties to the eighties, yeah. I think. So uh, what you'll he- see as you go through this is just these perspectives and how one interprets the Bible. And I don't want you to think about this as just purely this technical debate. Mm-hmm. You, we, us, are interpreting the Bible constantly, just as we're interpreting the world constantly, and a little bit of reflection on, hey, what am I bringing to this, uh, or how am I being taught to read this, is important, yeah? And it will, because ultimately, it's determining some of those things that you take out of the Bible. So that's what this week's reading's about. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to end on. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode of True Works. We looked at Donald Bloch's uh, great article and some of his ideas that he had in a Christological hermeneutic. I'm your host, Joshua Smith, and uh, with me was uh, my co-host, co-host, yeah. co-host yeah, yeah, Doug Meekle. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever podcasts are found, or if you want to hear more about True Works and what we're up to, you can find us at uh, www.trueworkshouston.org. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you. Thank you.